This audio is from King's Cross Church in Independence, Missouri. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit kingscrosskc.com. Today's reading can be found in John chapter 10, verses 22 through 42. That can be found on page 896 of the Pewback Bible. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to me, given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign. But everything John has said about this man was true, and many believed him there. This is the word of the Lord. My name is Orion. I'm one of the pastors here at King's Cross. We are um, deep into a series in the Gospel of John, uh, as you just heard uh, this story this morning. We're thankful that you're here um, to experience yet again another encounter uh, with Jesus, as we've seen so many times. Uh, This week I was thinking a lot about something that we practiced quite a bit when I was in grade school. I don't know if you guys still do show and tell. Do you guys still do show and tell a lot? No? I'm getting some blank stares from some youngsters. So I assume we're not doing that anymore. I'm not sure why, but I'm sure there's uh, some reason for that. We did it quite often. In fact, weekly, we did show and tell. And uh, I had a love-hate relationship with show and tell because... I really loved like wasting valuable class time. Like that was one of my favorite things in school. And uh, if the teacher wasn't teaching, I was pretty happy. Um, and so <laughs> I, I love that. No, I actually love to see these, these valuable things that kids had or that were special to them and hear stories related to the things that they'd bring in. I always found that to be quite fascinating stuff. Um, I had a hate relationship for it. Um, because I hated to feel the pressure of bringing something myself, right? Like I just kind of like, one, it's vulnerable, two, we were pretty poor. So 
we didn't have a lot of things to bring in. Um, so I remember one time, it was, it was my turn to be able to do that, and I went into my room and, uh, and I thought about like what, what's here that I can bring in, and I looked around the room and I decided I was gonna take a picture, a picture of my grandpa. Um, and so I took that in and um, it was a picture of him in World War II. And it represented to me something of immense value, like something that was very valuable, even though the paper was not even worth a dollar. And I shared, I shared what I knew of his service in the army. I, 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 I somehow to represent him as a person, his story and our relationship as a family. I don't remember if I did a good job at that or not. Uh, I don't know if the kids in the room or the teacher understood how significant my papa was to me um, or anything really about our relationship. What I do remember about that situation is how much I loved him. And when I, when I sat there and wondered what I would take and put in front of people, I wanted people to know um, about him and tell them about him. I wanted to show them who he was and what he had accomplished. It's a simple idea, right? Show and tell. It's a simple idea. And it's so childlike. But that's sort of what's happening in our story today as Jesus calls us to the same places in moments in our faith when our hearts are so full of love for God that we do what Jesus does in this passage today. We, we do the same thing that he did, does where we show by the lives that we live and the words that we proclaim who God is and that, and that we are his. Like that's, that's the essence of what we're hearing today. We speak the truth about who God is we speak the truth about who he is and we show people by living in obedience to Christ what, that, what he means to us. And the result is that God is honored. The result is that God is honored and people, people come to believe in him. So we're gonna look at this passage this morning. We're gonna, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna chop it up like we normally do and then we're gonna, like, we're gonna find a few takeaways this morning. Let me pray as we jump in. Father, we, um, we love you. We come to you this morning and approach this passage this morning in what seems like a very familiar story to us. It seems like one of the many encounters in John with the same pattern. It's like kind of a rerun, it feels like. And yet, God, we know that your word is not some archaic collection of stories that, that you've stamped with your approval, but each, each one, each encounter is filled with unbelievable goodness and complexity and richness that you authored and you designed for your church, for your bride to be a great blessing. And so God, we lay hold of that this morning. Help us here in chapter 10. Help us to not get lazy. God, help us to not be bored, to lower our expectations towards the good gifts you give your saints. 
May we never do that. Do not let us this morning. Do not let me weaken things. Help me say the right things that glorify you, I pray. God, my rock and my redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. Let's look at John chapter 10, verse 22, to to derive some sort of context in the first few verses. It says, at the time the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So we're we're picking up here and it's the feast of dedication, it's winter time, so it's been a few months, okay? It's been a few months and they've rolled by uh, since the Feast of Booths in the fall and Jesus is still in Jerusalem, okay? He's still hanging out there. He's probably going to Bethel, kind of like he did, hang out there, he comes back, but he's, he's sticking around, he's sticking around. He didn't go back up to, to his home base in Galilee in the north like he often did. And so this is also probably the time in, uh, if you look at the other gospels in Luke chapter 10, where uh, Jesus sends out the 72, it's about the same time in his ministry. And it's the feast of dedication, eight day festival. The festival is actually um, to dedicate or to reconsecrate the temple. And it points um, back to this time in 164 BC. It's a whole story there, but it's like this thing becomes Hanukkah. That's what it becomes. That's, it's pretty significant. It's the festival of lights. And so that's what's happening. There's a lot of hustle and bustle. There's a lot of folks in town and that's where he, he is. And it says he's in Solomon's colonnade, which is just a large porch, huge porch that they've um, believe that um, this, this, this covered porch was there since the time of Solomon. It's a significant place. They like to hang out there. That's what we see. This people group approaches, and we see in verse 24, it says that they're the Jews. And so John wants you to know it's not necessarily um, the religious leaders, but there's this cross-section of Jewish people that are coming up. So that's, that's who he's talking to. And Jesus is walking in this place. It's during the time of dedication. That's what it is. And the irony of it all is that here's the man above all people that, should, that people should throw their dedication towards. And rather than that, he comes up um, to these folks and, and they have a question. <laughs> How many times have we seen an encounter with Jesus begin with this big question? There's a question here that starts it that kicks it off in verse 24, it says this. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Which I can, I can feel that a little bit. Like I can understand this because Jesus for a good while had been evasive, hadn't he? Like he's, he's sort of like, he's talking in parables so that some people can understand and some don't. He's telling people, hey, don't tell everybody who I am. My time hasn't yet come. So there's, there has been a bit of evasiveness um, to, to, to his timing and, and, and what he's doing. He wants that to happen in a certain time. He has an agenda. We've seen that, like that's a reality. And so they're coming up going, listen, just tell us, right? Like, just plainly tell us. Now, the thing that they're asking in that is, tell us if you are the Christ. Tell us if you are the Christ. Because they're saying, like, if you're the Christ, 
if, if that is what describes you, then we have plans for you. Like, like we've been waiting. My, my daddy fasted and waited and longed for this. His dad fasted and longed for this his whole life and his father and his father. We've all been waiting generations and my dad handed me this longing and this desire. And when we see you, when we see the Christ come, we have plans for you. That's what they're asking. They, they've seen by now everything that Jesus has done. They've seen what he said. They've seen all this amazing stuff transpire. And they're just like, hey, let, let's just figure this out right now. Are we going to like take over Israel? Are we going to expel the Romans? Are we going to establish the eternal throne of David? Like, are we going to bring it back? Or is that what we're doing here? That's what they're asking more than they're asking about this man, Jesus. That's, that's their hope that, that he would answer. Their motives here are questionable, and we know that. We know that because of how Jesus answers. But before Jesus answers, I want you to think about that question a little bit, lest we move so fast across that question and miss some of the gold in it. I want you to think about that moment and how many times you've asked a question to seem less hostile when you've already made the judgment. Do you think about that? Because we do that. We've already made up our mind, but we don't want to be confrontational. And so we ask some questions, which by the way, is not a bad way to go about confrontation. But that's a reality is like, we know what that is. They're, they're not suspending judgment so that they could ask a question to understand more about this, right? Like that's not what they're doing, which I think is a very godly thing to do as we approach one another in community or people is to, is to suspend sort of judgment about something and ask questions so that we could understand things. There's a lesson to be learned there. But when we do this with God, it's one of the silliest things we can do. Isn't it? Like when we approach God, like in prayer or in worship or in whatever, and we're like, we're asking questions to God, but yet we've already made up our predetermined decisions and judgments, you know, and yet we're, we're sort of like doing that pretend thing where we're hiding the real estate of our heart. Like that's silly. He sees right through us. So there's one sense that this sort of behavior can be good as, as it relates to human beings, but also there's just a way in which, man, we need to approach God with authenticity, with integrity in our heart, like to be the real us in front of the real living God. And so there's a lesson for us to be gained in that. One time I managed a telecom company and and uh, one time I did that for six years. Uh, it wasn't like one day, you know. Um, uh, so and and so I managed this company, and then the, the the corporate office one day decided to cut some benefits. Man, they were beloved beloved benefits. And one of our supervisors, um, who I really liked a lot, came into my office, and he sat down, and he um, looked. The look on his face just sort of said it all. He thought he was being cool, but I could like see right behind that. And, and he wasn't cool. He was angry. I could tell. He sat down and he started to ask me questions. Hey, uh, what was, what led to that decision? You know, why do you think that happened? And, you know, and it just like with every question and with every like weak answer I could give him, it wasn't my decision. It was somebody not even our state. 
I just realized like, hey, there's no, there's nothing I can say, bro, to like make you feel better about this. So why don't you just let me have it? <laughs> like, why don't you just give it to me? Let me have it and I'll relay that to HR. Uh, which I thought I'd just get a little steam from him, but like what happened, what transpired was, man, he just lit into me. Like he turned red. I saw veins on his head that he didn't know he had. He, he, he I learned new words that day. Um, it was, he really let me have it. Um, but I did learn something too. We're really good at asking questions when our hearts are so far from that place. Like he's just asking me questions like, bro, just let me have it. I can take it. Just, just walk in here with integrity. And, you know, I appreciate that you're being professional, but just let me have it. One of the silliest things we can do is to do that with God. It's one of the silliest things. Now, I'm not saying that you should be irreverent to the holy God. That is a bad idea. But I am saying you should be who he knows you to be. Right? Like I am saying that creatures asking the creator loaded questions never really goes well. So it's right there. It's right here in us. And, and they're not asking Jesus because they love him. And they're not asking and hoping that the answer is yes. Like if, if he says yes, they're not going to leave everything, drop it and follow him like the disciples did. They're going to swoop him up and they're going to run their program. That's what they're going to do. And we know this by Jesus's answer. Look at verse 25. I told you so. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you didn't, do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me. He's a master of words. They ask him a very specific question. Is he the Christ? And he answers the question in a very definitive way, but he doesn't use the word Christ. He says, hey, I told you so, and you, do, you did not believe. And the, and the witness that he's bringing about is in John 8, 58, that we talked about where he says, I did, he said, I did tell you. He's referring to the words that he spoke before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. His claim that he is the I am is him making a clear and a definitive statement that he is the eternal God. I saw uh, on, on some comments on a post on the internet, an atheist arguing with some Christians about this phrase. And the atheist, and they just argued back and forth for a little bit. And then towards the end, the atheist said, hey, why didn't he just finish the sentence? I am what? And I, I, I didn't say it because that, that's not where I like to do ministry, but like, like he did finish the sentence. See, that's, that's what, if, 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 um, if my name is I am, and you asked me, hey, what's your name? And I say, I am, I have finished the sentence, hasn't, haven't I? Right? Like this is God's revealed name. And so Jesus is like, hey, I've said everything that needs to be said about my identity and you do not believe. There's no parables anymore. I'm not, you know, I'm not hiding things. Like I, I'm way out front and open. And every time I open my mouth to answer these types of questions, 
something bad happens, right? So, so he, he, he appeals to the witness that he has already told them. He's already said who he was. He tells them the simple truth again. And then secondly, if you look at the second part, the works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me. So he, he appeals to the second idea, not just telling them, but he, the works that he has done, he has shown them that he is no regular human. He has shown them the works that I do bear witness of me. In other words, Jesus is saying, you should be able to look at my body of work and you should be able to recognize by what I have done that I am no normal human being, right? Like that's what Jesus is saying to them. He, you should be able to just look at what I've done and everyone conclude, this is, this is God. This is God. I have fed thousands I have taught masses of people. I have made the lame walk. I have made the blind see. And yes, you're going to see the dead rise. I appeal to my work, Jesus says. I appeal to my work. Judge me on that. Judge me on that. It's show and tell. I've shown you and I have told you everything there is to know about me. Like that's his answer. It just sort of betrays their motives, right? He sees right through what they're trying to hide and he, he gets down deep and like, hey, you should know by now we shouldn't even be having this conversation. He goes on in verse 26, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me, okay? So just bringing back last week's conversation about the good shepherd, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one's able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. I want you to just see the cause and effect relationship of these verses for those who believe and for those who do not believe. The cause and effect relationship of those who follow Christ and those who don't. He says, you don't follow me because you don't know me. Because you don't hear my voice, because the Father has not called you, because I and the Father are one, right? It's, see how well that's connected, the cause and the opposite is true for those, those who believe, right? The opposite is true. So we see this cause and effect. This isn't just like some folks that are confused about the identity of Jesus. Jesus is, he's not just showing us this, this salvation type connection. He's like, he's like, he's like this, this is very important. Like getting my identity down, it's very important. It, it produces eternal life. It creates a relationship between you and God that is unbreakable. Like it's not just kind of confusion. Maybe Jesus is this, maybe Jesus is that. Like he, Jesus himself is either a crazy person or he is God, right? Like that's what we see. And he's going, hey, you can't miss this. It's paramount. It's the most important thing you can know that our belief and our dedication to Christ, it's paramount. John expounds on the idea in 1 John chapter 4 in this, 
the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. It is believing in Christ that makes that real for us. That's, that's believing in who he is, who he said he is, and what he has done for us. It's paramount in our life. It's no small conversation on a porch one day in the temple. It's an important, important conversation for us. It's eternal life. We shall not perish. We shall not perish. So when you lay your head on the pillow at night fearing death, the thought that should come into your mind is you will not perish if you believe in Christ. You will not. Verse 28 is our assurance this morning that no one will take us away from Jesus. No one. That his power of forgiveness is strong enough to forgive any of our sins. To to, to close the gap in pursuit of how far that we wander from him. That's no problem for him. So if you feel far off from God this morning, this is your assurance. You you feel far away from him, you're in his hand this morning. You're, You're in his hand if you believe in Christ and he wants us to know that. He wants us to feel that assurance. But it's the last phrase, it's the last phrase that that cuts them. It's the last one that, that cuts them so deep. Let's hear that phrase. Verse 30, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. So verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Because he keeps placing himself as God, as equal to God. He keeps putting himself in the Trinity. He keeps stacking himself right next to the Father and saying, hey, there's, there's, there, I'm the Son, he's the Father. Like I, We are one God. And they, they can't handle that. They cannot handle that. So as Jesus is having these encounters, you see that the temperature of what's happening in John is starting to rise and they pick up stones to stone him. Verse 32, before they do, apparently Jesus is like, let me say something else. Jesus answers them. I've shown you many good works from the father for which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answer him. It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy because you being a man, make yourself God. So like, hey, we're not even thinking about what you just said. Like we're not even considering what you've said about yourself or your works, dude. Like you just said you're equal with God. We're going to kill you. Like that, that was it. The next part's brilliant. Verse 33, Jesus answered them. It is not for a good work, or I'm sorry, verse 34. Jesus answered them. It is not written in your law. I said, you are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I'm the son of God. If I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe in me. 
But if I do them, even though you do not believe in me, believe the works that you may know and understand the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped their midst. So, so like, here, here's, here's, here's what's so funny. Here's what's so beautiful about this. So he's like, okay, I get it. You're mad about what I said. You should just judge my works. Like, here I am right here doing all this stuff. You should just do that. But he also invokes another idea. Um, he invokes Psalm 82, verse 6, where the point of that psalm is that those who have had these great privileges of not only being made in the image of God, but hearing the word of God will be held accountable for how they act and behave just like everyone else, if not more so. So he's invoking Psalm 82, six here. And if you're like, gosh, that was hard. I didn't understand what he just said. Cool, that's, that's, that's where you probably should be um, because they're in the same place. They're like, what? I don't know what you're saying. So it's a strange text, right? Like it's a strange text, but it must be true even though it is unusual because it's God's word. So Jesus is arguing that they shouldn't complain um, when he being so much more than these by virtue of his works and his relationship to the father claims to be God. Okay, so what he's doing, very simply, he's making an argument from the lesser to the greater. And he's doing it in a very intellectual way. It's, it, it is kind of beautiful. It's, it's so smart, it's really hard to get. Like, that's the reality that we see here. He's saying, hey, if you guys are so smart, then be smart all the time. Like, that's what he's saying. If you want to be so intellectually astute and think you know everything, then, then be consistent with it at least. And the way that Jesus tells him that is so intellectual. Like, I barely understand it. Like, that was so hard to even tell you just now. Like, that's the beauty of Jesus and how he, he does things, right? As he, 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 he peels back layers of humanity to expose the sort of grime and filth inside the human heart. That's what he does. It's a strange text, but he makes an incredibly sophisticated argument. Um, he puts his finger on the inconsistency of the elite. That's what he's doing. And honestly, they're probably like us. They're like, huh? <laughs> like, and like years later, they're like, oh, I think I figured out what he meant. Um, by verse 39, this conversation, it's escalated. And it says that they tried to arrest him, arrest him, but he escaped. He's like, Whew. he's gone again. Like, geez, I don't know if like, I don't know how many times we've seen this. Like, he's just gone. Like, at the right moment, he, he escapes, he's gone. We should have like a Gospel of John scorecard that has like all the times Jesus disappears, you know, all the... All the, all the things that he, he does, the claims to be God, like that's what we should have because he's so good at what he does. He's so good at what he does. And it isn't time. It is not time yet. And so he escapes. And then we, we see in verse 40 where it says, he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. It's a pretty insignificant place. I'll say that it's, uh, in fact, today you can go there, you can go to a place and be baptized in the Jordan where people pretend like that happened, 
But if you want to go to the real place, it's just sort of a muddy creek somewhere in the middle of the, the wilderness, right? Like it's just an insignificant little place. But it's in this place that many come to him. And they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him. So Jesus leaves Jerusalem. He leaves this conversation. And he's out in the wilderness where John was. And it's so ironic to me that he's far away from the festival of dedication. He's far away from the eliteness of the temple. And the ultra elite religious leaders, he's far away from all of those things. There's no so-called connection to God in God's city, right? Like the, he's far away from all of those places. And yet we see people believing and dedicating their lives to Jesus. It's ironic that it's in this place where John said, behold, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, where he proclaimed Christ to be the son of God. Like it's in that place where Christ is honored. It's in that place where he is believed. It's that place where the first sort of show and tell happened. It's in that place that it happens. Not where you think that it would happen. I've heard people so close to believing in Jesus, like so close until God's at work in their life. And then they'll say something like, man, I just gotta, I gotta take care of this thing first. If I could just only like do this or that, and then like, then I think I'd be in a place that I could really give my life to God. I've heard that so many times. It's just sort of how backwards that is. That this is the time to believe in Christ. This is the day to believe in him. This is the day in this place, because it is today to put our dedication, our love, our worship, our belief in who he said he was and the work that he did in living a perfect life for you, in dying a death that you deserve, in being risen again to defeat death and to secure that eternal life that he talks about, to believe in what he's done. Like this is the day for that. This is the day for that. It doesn't take a special moment on an altar. It doesn't, it doesn't take any of that. It takes us simply being who we are and seeing Jesus for who he is. That's what it takes for us. Today is that day to let our hearts be filled with the love of God this morning. A couple of takeaways as we finish our time. If I could take you back to the five minutes when I went into my room in grade school to look for some little item to show and tell and to grab what was most precious to me. When you look at your life today, what or who deserves that place? What or who deserves that place? What would you grab? What's filling your heart and your attention 
You see, we're, we're in the process of practicing Lent. And what we're doing is we're taking more time to do that very thing, to capture that little moment, right? Like that's what we're doing. Hopefully we're not just starving ourselves, right? Like that hopefully we're not just missing some TV. Like, like I'm, I'm hoping that in those moments we're meeting with Jesus in the wilderness of that suffering so that we can see him clearer and we can believe in what he has done in our lives and that we could cherish his salvation in our lives and we could cherish his wisdom and we could cherish his very life. Like that's hopefully what we're doing in Lent. Like, I hope that's our takeaway as we move towards Easter when we celebrate the resurrection. I was sitting there um, last night just going like, we're not watching uh, TV. I've missed a lot of meals. And I'm like, but how have I like taken that time to invest that time in dedication and devotion to the Lord? Not out of works, not out of guilt, something driving us there, but out of joy and love and wanting to, to know him more. And that, like, that's my heart today as we look at this encounter and we see people who just really didn't care about God except for how it connected to their own personal agenda. And you see a group of people that were just sort of out of the way. And listen, your life is full of moments like that in the wilderness that are inconsequential that God longs to fill for you. He longs to fill them. And, and we are too good at putting God in this box, right? There's, there's many times in our life where outside of this place that God longs to manifest his presence and for us to see and worship and follow him in that way. So that's what we're gonna do as, as we finish our time this morning and we, and we take the Lord's Supper I want you to respond to that. Like, I just want you to come in faith to see Jesus, to know him, to love him, to, to take yourself to that moment of dedication, to, to, to devote your heart to him. And not just in this moment, but, but as we walk out this next week in Lent, that you would do that too. Would you, would you stand with me as I pray for that? Lord, we, we ask, Lord, that, um, that you would help us this morning where there's things, Lord, in our, our lives, God, that, um, that are more precious to us than you, that feel more important. Lord, would you help us with that? Lord, I pray, um, Lord, as we come to the Lord's Supper today, as we come to the table of communion with you, that we, that we would see above all that you laid your life down, as John said, to be the propitiation, the sacrifice for us out of love. So God, let us pick that up this morning with the bread. Let us dip that into the juice. Lord, let that truth be the truth that we're eating. God, we pray for that. We pray for dedicated hearts that are far away from elitism, that are humble, like sheep to a shepherd. We pray that you would guide us in all the disappointments 
that we've experienced, God, would you, would you just be so big that you would eclipse all of those today? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.